The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. This is our fifth study of biblical biographies, and if you'll join me in it. Just a couple of thoughts before we uh, dive into it, just to remind us. Oh, and Davises, thank y'all. That was, I kind of felt like that was the Von Davis family up there tonight. That was awesome. That was great. Thanks. What an encouragement. What a blessing. Nobody ever asked my family to do that. I'm not, I don't know why that's the case. Uh, but, uh, but I think that one of the things I want to, um, I think one of the things I'd like to do is just to remind you of a couple of things before we uh, jump in. Now, remember, this is our fourth study of the portrait. And, and I've shared with you that I am consciously and intentionally choosing um, the B characters uh, for our study, not the, not the biggies. Those are simple. I mean, that, anybody can preach. If you, if you can't preach a sermon on Daniel, you might as well hang it up. I mean, you got Daniel, you got Joseph, you got all the big ones, uh, Paul. But what I've tried to do is to take you to find some insights on some of these, uh, I've tried to compare it like you see these great leading men and leading women, but there are certain character actors, and you know if they show up in a film, it's going to be a good film. You're going to get a good story. You're going to get some good insights. And uh, so that's what I've tried to do. And so we've taken a look at Enoch, seventh generation from Adam. We have taken a look at Nathan, uh, the prophet. Uh, we have, he, Of course, you can't have David without Nathan. Uh, you can't have Noah without Enoch. You can't have. Um, then we took a look at last. Uh, we took a look at Silas, and what a what an interesting study of this preacher leader from the church at Jerusalem that became such a powerful part of the uh, missionary journeys of Paul and then later Peter, and that's the that's how he was so blessed of the Lord and used of the Lord in their lives. Well, I'm going to bring you to one tonight, John Mark. Let me go ahead and tell you so I don't forget. Next Lord's Day evening is going. We're going to go to the fairer sex next Lord's Day evening. We're going to take a look at. I want to uh, take you to uh, study the life of Deborah. Uh, what an amazing woman, Deborah. Uh, some really wonderful insights that we can gain from her and the battle that she won on what you know as the fields of Megiddo. And uh, it's an astounding thing that was done there. So we'll take a look at her next week and um, and then hope to after that to do Miriam. Uh, that's why it's because of that woman that you got six Marys uh, in the New Testament. Uh, this is an interesting woman who's kind of set the course for what you name your children in the days that Jesus was born. We'll take a look at Miriam uh, as well. Now, when you're studying biographies, you need to be careful with them because you don't want to just set people up and say, okay, here's your moral lessons from this life. Now, go do this. But on the other hand, we don't just treat every, it seems to be there's a movement among Christians today and preachers today that uh, every, every biographical study, if they're not a type of Christ or you can't invent them as a type of Christ, then you don't preach on them. And that's just not true. There are, as I mentioned, one, one highly respected commentator has counted the fact that there are 367 biographies uh, in your Bible and 49 of them finished Strong. But we know something, don't we? We know that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, if we've got a Bible with 66 books, and that Bible, under the inspiration of the Spirit, puts into, into its content 360 plus, I'm sorry, I made the wrong figures there, 349 with 67 that finished strong. That went, why would the Bible put all those in there if we're not supposed to learn something? Because why? All scripture, all scripture, including biographical studies, are profitable 
profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And then the second thing is we want to see what God's grace did in their life. Thirdly, we want to see, and we want to see as well, what they did by God's grace that was so profound, and where did they falter. And thankfully, the Bible shows us everybody, the lives that are recorded, we get to see them, not only the beauty marks of grace, but the warts and pimples whenever somebody has stumbled. And we can learn from that as well. And then finally, of course, wherever the life is a part of a prophecy or is prophetic or is a type that is pointing us in a very specific way to Christ. So tonight, I want us to go take a look at a guy named John Mark. This is one of my favorite ones because, of, as I mentioned today, because of uh, this narrative, what surrounds it. So what I'm going to do is just what we've done. What are the key texts that we'll take a look at? We'll download around three things. The origin of the character, his origin, his calling, and his legacy. And uh, that's what we want to see. This is John Mark. Now, he's another one of these guys that's got two names. And uh, just like... Um, Silas had Silas and Silvanus, uh, just like Paul has got Paul and Saul. There's a reason why, and pretty much the same reason goes with John Mark. John would would have been his Hebrew name. Uh, that would have been his Hebrew name, John, and his Roman or Greek name would have been Marcus, or as we would say, Mark. And so he's known in the Bible as John Mark, or John called Mark, as he's referred to from time to time. And uh, what are some things that we can know about him? What are some things that we can find out? Well, there's some key texts, and I want you to look at the key texts so we can download his origin, we can download his calling, and then I want to give you five legacies that that John Mark gives us as we take a look at his life. To start studying him, you really need to start in Acts chapter 12. Would you go with me to Acts chapter 12? Turn in your Bibles to Acts 12. Okay, I'm listening. A little bit of Baptist air conditioning here. Pages rustling. Am I hearing clicks out there? All right. Look with me in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. So we, you remember the persecution that comes in the days of Stephen. It keeps intensifying. And here's what we find out in chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John, with the sword. Now, of course, that would have been a cousin of Jesus, James. Uh, James would have been the older brother of John, and James and John's mother would have been a sister to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. Now, you can see why he would go to Peter, don't you? Remember when Jesus is discipling, he kind of had his, his big three, Peter, James, and John. Well, he went after James, and if all of the, if all of that, when he's speaking of the Jews, he's particularly looking at those who are being led by the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, even more specifically, that it pleased them, the power brokers, it pleased them, and, and, and the line of Herod always felt illegitimate because it was illegitimate. So anytime they could get support, by their actions, they were attuned to that. So Herod, uh, the king, realizes that he is, he's done something that has gained some support. And so he decides, well, I'll go after a number two guy. I'll go after, um, I'll go after uh, Peter as well. Now, what does he do with Peter? This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So the text is letting you know he, he isn't just under house arrest. He's got four squads of soldiers, temple guards likely, that are guarding him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
bound with two chains and sentries before the door, before the door, and they were guarding, and were before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord. Now notice, not the angel of the Lord. That's kind of a technical phrase referring to a Christophany, and you don't find that phrase basically in the New Testament. Why? Because the incarnate Christ is ascended now. This is an angel, a divinely ordained ministering spirit. An angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. Miracle number one. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by, uh, by the angel. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. In other words, he thought he was um, sleepwalking with a dream. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate. There's another miracle. They're just walking past guards. And when they walked by, the, uh, when they came to the iron gate leading into the city, here comes another miracle. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. In other words, he said, My goodness, I have been set free. This is a miracle. This wasn't just a series of protocols. This wasn't adjudicatory that ruled they couldn't keep him. This was God intervening. And, of course, we know it was in direct intertwining of God's providence with the prayers of his people. Now, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. Now, who is this Mary? In your Bible, there are seven, well, in terms of um, focus, there are seven Marys. I won't try to repeat them all for you. And this is, we'll call this one number six. This Mary doesn't seem to be related to any of the other Marys or any uh, that we can see of except related in some form or fashion to Barnabas. That's something that will become evident. Who is this Mary? This is what we know about this Mary. So he comes and he comes to, um, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, of course, you're looking there. Aha! Is that a contradiction in the Bible? James is dead. How can you tell James? Well, there's more than one James. There's not only a lot of Marys running around, there's a lot of James running around. And this, is, of course, would not be the James, the brother of John. Uh, this would be James, the brother of Jesus, who would become the pastor of the church at Jerusalem until he is cast down and destroyed. Uh, the um, extra biblical information tells us from the pinnacle of the temple. This is James, the brother of Jesus, and he writes a book in your Bible called... James, isn't that amazing? I knew you had that. And then, um, and so, and then another brother of Jesus, of course, is in your Bible, Jude, and he writes Jude. But this is, that's the James this is referring to. You know, I get the feeling, I kind of, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Luke and I want to talk to him because I get the sense that Luke loves a good story. I grew up in a family of storytellers. So I, I'm, he's telling a good story here, isn't he? He's telling you about how, Peter just doesn't know what's going on. He thinks he's in a dream, and then he finally realizes, you know, if I keep walking by these guards, this isn't a dream. I have been set free by the hand of the Lord. So he defaults. I want you to remember this. He automatically goes to a house where he knows he's going to find Christians. And that's the house of Mary, who is the mother of John Mark. And when he gets to that house, the Christians are there doing what? What are they praying for? His release. 
So he gets there. Rhoda said, I mean, you can see Rhoda. I mean, and, and Luke's kind of explaining. Rhoda sees this and said, oh, my goodness, this is an answer to prayer. And she's so excited she doesn't even invite him in. She goes in and says, Peter, he's out there. You know, the guy y'all are praying, he's out there. And what is their answer? No, he's in prison, crazy. What do you mean he's out there? He's in prison. We're praying for him to get released here. How can he be out there? Well, it's called answered prayer. And the answer this time was what? Yes. Not no. Not keep praying. The answer this time was yes. And so, and Luke obviously is bringing out the humor of that point. But you've now been introduced for the first time to John Mark in the book of Acts by Luke. And you've been introduced not only to him, but to his mother. Likely, likely a widow. There's no mention of her husband. And, um, and, and John Mark is spoken of in his relationship to her. And this house, ha- in some way, it's either one of many house churches in Jerusalem or it's a very key house. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Now go with me over to chapter 13. Look at verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. So the church has spread not only from Jerusalem, but with this persecution has gone up to Antioch. And this church that you find it starting back in chapter 11 is now described uh, in its profile in chapter 13. And we're told that in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers called Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, that's they're kind of like the senior pastor, Barnabas and his associate pastor. Um, and that would have been Saul and later, of course, to be called Paul. Set them apart for the work to which I have called them. What is that work going to be? It's going to be the first missionary journey where they go out to the various places up into Galatia where they do evangelism and discipleship. They do church planting and they do leadership development and they do the gospel deeds of love and mercy. And so as they, he said, that's the work which I have sent. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. By the way, one little interesting insight. Here are the five leaders of the church at Antioch. As far as we see in the description, which is painstakingly making a point to us, none of them are native Antiochians. They're all imported by the providence of God. And when they send them out, they don't send the two guys out that can't get a call somewhere to be a missionary. They send their two best out. And the sending took place in the context of gathered worship. Or as we looked at this morning, the means of grace was being applied. And then they sent them out. So they went out, we're told, and they go out and they begin to do their ministry. And here's what happened. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John. That's John Mark. You just introduced to him in the last chapter. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, uh, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? (laughs) Well, so much for apologetics that isn't interested in the argument, but winning some the person. (laughs) Uh, no, in this case, he's doing another task of apologetics, which is to which is to demolish every thought that is raised up against Jesus. And he goes after both what he is saying and the one who is saying it. 
And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went seeking people to lead him out by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw what it, when he saw what, is it, what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, you know, it's so hard for me not to, to take this and go back. How do they keep explaining this movement of the church? The word of the Lord continues to expand. The teaching of the Lord brought him to faith in Christ. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And what? Here's now we learned something else about John Mark. John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And they went on to do their ministry before they came back to Antioch. Well, folks, when they got back to Antioch, you know what they found out? That from Jerusalem had come opposition to their ministry. Opposition that would even send people up to Galatia where they had ministered. It was an opposition of an error of the gospel that was legalism. Telling people you can't become a Christian in Jesus until you become a Jew in Moses and you got to be circumcised. And they not only send representatives up around Galatia, but they send representatives up to, and claiming to be from James, they send representatives up to Antioch. And Paul enters into debate. He's even going to have a debate with Peter himself, as well as Barnabas to some degree. So what's going to happen is, is they're going to have to establish the first general assembly of the church in Acts chapter 15. And all of the elders from the various churches are sent to address a number of theological issues, which they do. And they send back a message, a very clear message that Peter and James and Barnabas and all of them sign off on. No, the gospel is you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you do not have to be circumcised first. You do. It is not your works that save you. It's Christ that saves you. Be certainly be be cognizant of Jewish evangelism, that there are those with the ceremonies. Be careful of how you do your evangelism with them. But hold fast to the gospel of saving grace, a gospel that says no to legalism and a gospel that says no to libertinism. And so when that comes back, Barnabas, uh, Paul is overjoyed with it. And Paul says, you know, it's time for us to go do another missionary journey. So they come back. They have, remember, Silas with them and Judas with them from the church at Jerusalem. They come back. They have some preaching time. They give all of the directives out. And then look in Acts chapter 13 and... Um, and uh, and look at what the uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Acts uh, chapter 13. And then look what um, uh, Paul now. Na- I'm sorry. Not Acts 13. Acts uh, 15. And what Paul says in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. And let's see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here, let's stop right here, because we were here last week when we took, because from this, Paul is going to take Silas. Remember our study last week? And Barnabas is going to take, so you get the, you get the first and the second Presbyterian missionary teams here. And they go off. But I want to take just a moment here with you. Why did Paul say no? Why did Paul say no to taking John Mark? The one obvious reason is he says... John Mark's track record means I can't take him. The last time we took him, and we're going back to the same area, last time I took him, he left, even before we got to the work in Pamphylia. No, he, he's not a proven leader. We're not going to take him. Barnabas, <laughs> Barnabas, he sees potential in anybody and everybody. So he argues for him. 
And I mean argues. In fact, the text says there is a sharp disagreement. So sharp, they can't bridge it. They can't come up with an accommodation. So Barnabas takes John Mark and Paul takes Silas. This is the last thing you hear about Barnabas directly. He doesn't come up in your Bible anymore. Now, I think the fruit of his ministry comes up, but he doesn't come up. But it's not the last you're going to hear of John Mark. No, you're going to hear some more things about John Mark. Now, why is Paul so um, so committed? Well, Paul Paul believes in developing leaders. Why would he tell Why would he tell Timothy the things you have learned when I discipled you as a leader? You commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul knows there's a place to develop leaders. In fact, he calls for it. But in this moment, for this ministry, whenever you do a ministry, you've got to determine what leaders you need and what level of achievement you need. The only illustration I can give you is that Paul is going behind enemy lines. And he needs, he needs the Green Beret. He needs the Navy SEALs. He needs the Marine Corps recon. He needs the Air Force commandos. He wants tried and true to go and stick it out. Now, we'll plant churches that can develop leaders. But I need the tried and true. And I don't see that in John Mark. May see it one day, but I don't see it now. And he says no. I believe there may be a second reason. Two times tonight, I'm going to give you two speculations. I always try to identify when I'm speculating, and I'm speculating now. I think another reason is I don't think it's any accident <laughs> that people opposing Paul and Barnabas's ministry of taking the gospel to the Gentiles to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and challenging that by Judaizers who come up to Antioch and challenge them when they return from the missionary trip. Where did they come from? Jerusalem. How would they have known about the ministry of Paul and Barnabas? Well, my speculation is John Mark came back. And began to give a report that may have been less than favorable in his present, at his, at his immature state that was less than, um, than, um, uh, than giving the judgment of charity to the accuracy of Paul's ministry. And I think that this, this is pure speculation on my part. I may be wrong. And so I'm not preaching it, so I don't have to go apologize to John Mark when I meet him in heaven if I'm wrong. But I think that that, that Paul may be connecting some dots of the people from Jerusalem coming up to challenge them, the Judaizers, with, with John Mark having returned to Jerusalem and reporting what had gone on that he had left when he was not supposed to leave. That's just speculation on my part. But it's at least something to consider. But now his ministry continues, and I want to take you to some more continuation of his ministry. We don't hear from Barnabas, but we hear from John Mark. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we find out, uh, we find out, that not only was Silas, Peter's secretary, having finished his tour with Paul, and when he returned to Jerusalem, he refastened himself to Peter, having begun with Peter in the church at Jerusalem, and he is the secretary for Peter, but there's also somebody else that's on Peter's team. Look at verse 12. By Silvanus, and of course that's the, that's the name that's used in the epistles for Silas. Luke used the name Silas in the book of Acts. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, now that would have been a reference to Rome. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. So what is, who is with him? 
there in in Rome or as it was referred to Babylon, who is with him? Silas. Yes. Who else? John Mark. Not only had he matured, not only had Barnabas done his job, we don't know what happened to Barnabas, but we do know that John Mark now gets put on a third team. He's been on the team with Barnabas and Saul. He's been on the team with Barnabas. And now he's on Peter's team. And while Silas is the secretary to write First Peter, there's every evidence that this is the place and this is the time that John Mark has come to the point that God entrusts to him under the apostolic authority of Peter, the writing of the gospel of Mark. And you get it. Now, why do we think John Mark is the writer and the author? And why do we think that it was under Peter? Well, we've got some extra biblical affirmations. There was a bishop. Y'all remember this one of those churches that were up there out that uh, that came from the mother church at Ephesus. It uh, up in what today is Turkey It's called Hierapolis. Well, in the second century, there was a guy that was there. The bishop of Hierapolis was a man by the name of Papias. And a church historian later gives us the records of Papias, where Papias is the one that tells us directly that that John Mark was with Peter in. Not only was John Mark with Peter at Rome when Peter was there, but that John Mark was the one who wrote the gospel under Peter's direction. And then you begin to look at that gospel and you begin to see that that gospel bears the marks of Peter. It bears the marks of Peter in a number of ways and it bears the marks of John Mark. But it bears those marks in various ways. One of those ways is, is that there are moments where in the other gospel, Peter comes off pretty good, but it's downplayed in the John and John Mark. Appropriate humility. (laughs) There's also a time there where not only is Peter and where he should be coming off with affirmations, but he understates things. And I probably make sure that John Mark does that. But there are other times where Mark's writing and Peter doesn't come off so well and it doesn't get hidden in the gospel of Mark. It gets evidenced in the gospel of Mark. But yet the gospel of Mark Another thing that's interesting is Mark, unlike Matthew and Luke, does not go back to the birth of Jesus, but picks right up where Peter would have picked up at the baptism of Jesus. And there's a, there are a number of other things that are there, but you can see it. Here's a, here, and as it is unfolding, we begin to see some other things that may be related to it. And I want to go to that in just a moment. But before I do, I want you to go with me to Philemon 24, verse 24. In fact, would you go to Philemon? Let's go to chapter 1 in Philemon. I was wondering if I would get a laugh. You ought to laugh just so that everybody knows that you don't think there's a chapter one in Philemon. Because there's not a chapter one in Philemon. Philemon is another one of these prison epistles. And in Philemon, we are given, um, we are, we are told this, uh, insight. Let me slip down to verse 24, please. I'll pick up at 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, so he's with Peter, I mean with Paul in prison, with uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you as and so do Mark. Now John Mark is with Peter, I mean with Paul, having also been with Peter. Now in Rome is Paul in prison. And John Mark has made his way over to be on Paul's team while he's in prison. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Go back with me now, back to your left, to Colossians. Got just two more passages. Colossians. And when you get to Colossians, go to 
chapter 4. Chapter 4. When you get to chapter 4, go to the conclusion. Down to verse 9. I'll just pick up at 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So now we know for sure that Mark in Philemon. Here he's repeated here. And just so you make no mistake, this is John Mark. And as as uh, Paul makes clear, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Um, and then he goes on to mention Epaphras, and you'll notice that the same people he mentions in Colossians, he mentions in Philemon. They were his team that was with him during his two-year imprisonment. He had been imprisoned at Caesarea for two years, and by appeal is now imprisoned in Rome for two years. And, re- and with him in this first imprisonment are these people, including John Mark. So now what do you know about John Mark? Something else. John Mark is what? He's not only been on the team with Paul and Barnabas. He's not only been on the team with Barnabas. He's not only been on the team with Peter. Now he's got on the fourth team. And the fourth team is Paul and, and, um, and the team that's with Paul as Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment. Now, one more passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the end of Paul's life. This is his second imprisonment, and he is about to be put to death. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul gives us a little bit more information on our biographical study of John Mark, and this is what he says about him. He says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, sorry, I turned one too many, 2 Timothy chapter 4, In verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. He's asking for Timothy to come soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So some of those have been sent to those places. But Demas, you remember, we just read his name, didn't we? In the first Roman imprisonment, he was part of the team holding fast. In the second imprisonment, as Paul's life is in danger, Demas has left Paul and perhaps has left the faith. But having said that, in verse 9, he then says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Now we find out Paul's evaluation of John Mark. He is useful to me. For ministry. Now don't miss three things. John Mark, who at one time Paul didn't want, is now useful. How'd he get there? He got there with Barnabas. He got there with Peter. And now Paul has had a part in his life. He's now useful. Useful for what? Ministry. And not only that, don't miss this. He is useful for ministry to me. That is astounding. Folks, if you had been Barnabas, who had been in an argument with Paul about the possibility of the usefulness of John Mark, and Paul insists no to the point that you split up, and you're sitting by a campfire later in your travels with, with John Mark. How would you have spoken about Paul? I know what most of us would have done. Well, I want you to know that Paul, he didn't have any use for you. <laughs> but I did. I saw your potential. But not that Paul. That must have never taken place. Uh, we are going to, Lord willing, the last biographical study we're going to look at is Barnabas. I just don't think I can possibly get him done in one night, but I'm going to try. When Paul shows up and nobody wants anything to do with him in Jerusalem, who's the guy that brings him to the apostles? It's Barnabas. When Paul's up there back 
in the backwaters of Tarsus? Who is it that brings him down and gets him into the ministry at Antioch? Barnabas. Who is it that when they go on the first missionary journey, he takes Paul with him? Barnabas and Paul. Yet when they get back, it's not Barnabas and Paul. What is it? Paul and Barnabas. He gladly became second violin when he had been first violin. And then he develops John Mark when Paul doesn't want any part of him at that moment in time. But he develops him in such a way that not only is he useful for ministry, but he'll be useful to Peter. For first Peter, he'll be useful to Peter for the gospel of Mark. And then he'll get handed off to another guy that comes to Rome in prison. And it's Paul. And he'll be with him. Not only he'll be with him in his last imprisonment. And when he when Paul calls for him, he says he's useful. And he's useful for ministry. And because of Barnabas and Peter, he's useful for ministry to me. That John Mark could serve Paul. Even though Paul had rejected him. That is a powerful ministry that was done. That tells you something about John Mark. That tells you something about Barnabas. That tells you something about Peter. And that tells you something about the Apostle Paul. So now let me just give you some distillation. So what do we know from this? Well, we know that Barnabas... That we know that John Mark was the son, was a cousin to a very wealthy man by the name of Barnabas. We also know that his mother, Mary, likely a widow, had a house that was an epicenter point for the church in Jerusalem. It's the point that Peter automatically went to to find Christians when he was delivered. Now, could this be? Remember, I said to you I had two speculations. I want to give you another speculation. A house that was a gathering point. For Christians in Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar? What was a place where the church was birthed in Jerusalem? An upper room. Where what? The first Lord's Supper had been given. Where what? They had assembled after the ascension of Jesus and prayed. And Pentecost occurs. And what? The place where they had the brilliance to choose in the providence of God, the right apostle to replace Judas, Matthias. For those of you who don't know, that's my grandson's name. Okay. Right there in that place. And there the early church is birthed. Well, there may have been another key place. There may have been another key place like Mary's house separate. But I think there's a, po po a possibility that that was, that that house was in fact that belonged to Mary where Barnabas, I mean where John Mark grew up, that would have perhaps been the house that contained the upper room. It was a familiar go-to. And if they prayed in the upper room in Acts 1, when they gather for prayer, maybe that's the same house. I'm speculating. It could be a separate house. But I want to do one more thing with you. Go, go back with me to Mark. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, that uh, Mark's writing, and go to chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. I'm not, in other words... I'm not through speculating. I want to give you one more speculation. Mark 14. Jesus has just instituted the Lord's Supper where? In the upper room. He has left and he's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he prays and there what else happens to Jesus in Gethsemane? He gets arrested, right? And then what happens when he gets arrested? Go to chapter 14, and after he, as he's arrested, verse 51, and a nameless young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This young man 
the writer of the gospel does not name. But for some reason, he wants you to know there was a young man there that this happened to him. Now, maybe he doesn't want to give him his name, and maybe the name is John Mark. And maybe he doesn't want to give the name because he doesn't want to go down in history as the streaker. Maybe that's it. But I think, you know, I hear, I acknowledge, please know this, pure speculation. But I find it interesting that this is here. Could this be John Mark? He would have been a young man. And if that house belonged to his mother and that upper room in that house was where he was, and after the Lord's Supper, and they went out singing a hymn, and came up the Kidron Brook, could John Mark have seen them leave and followed them? And later at night, prepared for bed, he quickly puts on a linen without the appropriate underclothes as he leaves that night, not knowing what's about to happen. And then he goes, and he follows them. From a distance. And when he writes the gospel and tells you about it, he finds a way to namelessly put himself there. Well, that's speculation on my part. Let me finish speculation and not only give you his origin as we've looked at, but let me give you his calling. He is called to be a author of your Bible, the gospel of Mark under the authority of uh, Peter, as affirmed by Papias, the bishop of Hierapolis, and Eusebius, who, uh, Eusebius of Caesarea, who affirms that, as well as other extra-biblical. His calling was to never to be the leader of the team, but to be a leader on the team. And he was a leader on the team of Paul and Barnabas. He was a leader on the team of Barnabas. He was a leader on Barnabas's team. He was a leader on Peter's team. He was a leader at the end back on, P- on Paul's team. He is a man who clearly has been impacted by his mother Mary. Because in the Gospel of Mark, it is John Mark that gives you the detailed, the detailed identification at the cross and the resurrection of the women who I am sure were friends of his mother that, uh, that were there last at the cross and first at the day of resurrection. He is a man who records all of these interesting things in the Gospel of Mark and has these crucial ministries in which he was engaged. What's his legacy? Here it is. I'll just enumerate it because I've already talked about it. Legacy number one, he gives you the gospel of Mark. Kind of like a docudrama. The gospel of Mark is unique. It's, a, it's clearly an edited. I mean, when he, for instance, when he, when he talks about the demoniacs that get delivered, the other gospel writers tells us there are two of them, but John Mark focuses in on one of them. He's editing constantly. I can give you a lot of instances. He gets to the point. Well, who was it that was overseeing him? Peter? Has there been anybody that likes to get to the point more than Peter? And yet, so he, and that is borne out in this docudrama gospel that you have in John Mark. Secondly, he is the testimony of a significant mentorship. Paul had an impact in his life. Peter had an impact in his life. Barnabas had an impact. You see the testimony of significant mentors in his life. The legacy. Thirdly, you see the testimony and legacy of his response to mentors. He's able to learn from Barnabas and then move to Peter. He's able to learn from Barnabas and Peter. And then move back to Paul. You also see a man who was never a directional visionary leader, but he was a crucial tactical leader on the team. And he did that on four different teams. You also see a man that gives us the testimony of God's providence. Would we ever have gotten, humanly speaking, God's providence gave us John Mark with this unique, wonderful gospel of John Mark. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I made a, there's a lot of mistakes I make in life, but one of the things I wished I'd done, I, I just couldn't wait here to get a preach on the book of Acts 20 years ago. 
And uh, so I did. And we were kind of in it for five years. And um, if I look back on it, and I'm glad I preached on the book of Acts, but I kind of look back to the gospel. Maybe I should have jumped in with Mark. It is such a powerful gospel, hard hitting, fast moving, and it gives you insights that are extraordinary. Well, I love the gospel of Mark. I think you will, too, if you study it. Humanly speaking, there's no way John Mark could have written that, obviously, without the Holy Spirit. But just think of the impact of Barnabas, Peter and Paul in the writing of that gospel. Where did he write it? Well, I think he wrote it in Rome. When did he write it? Right under Peter. After being trained with Barnabas and soon to be united back with Paul. And that all of God's providence came to bear to give you the unique gospel of Mark. Finally, who, isn't it amazing, I get to find out something about Paul that I never would have found out without John Mark being rejected, mentored by Barnabas, mentored by Peter, and showing back up with Paul. And here's Paul's verdict. He affirms him in Philemon. He affirms him in Colossians. And in Second Timothy, facing life, he says, bring, bring Timothy, bring, send John Mark. John Mark, come to me. Why? He's useful in ministry. To me. And that tells you something about Paul. Paul didn't go back and defend his decision. He's willing to recognize, yeah, I didn't take him with me on that second missionary journey. But I have no hesitation to tell you now, here is a man of God that's useful for me as I face the sentence. That will bring me to God. And you see the humility of Paul affirming the one that he previously had rejected instead of defending himself. Love these portraits. I hope you do too. Get your Alexander White study of Bible characters. Get your John Brown of Haddington study dictionary of Bible characters. But get into the Bible and know not only the biggies. No people like John Mark. Let's pray. God, thank you for the time we could be together. Thank you, Father, for your word and uh, the privilege to see how it unites uh, in, in your purpose and how it uh, challenges us in so many areas so that we see the work of our Savior not only as creator, not only as redeemer, but also in his good providence as he saves, frames, fashions, and forms sinners with all of our weaknesses through the strength of his grace to serve him. Father, thank you for the testimony born in John Mark. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.